Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Hello, this is Leona Graham. Welcome to the Rock and Road Podcast, episode six of the third series. Thank you for tuning into it. And have I got a mega bumper episode for you? Because this week's special guest is Brian May. Yes, Brian May of Queen is my guest on the podcast today. And we're going to talk about Queen. We're going to talk about his reissued, remastered solo debut album, which comes out today, 6th of August, 2021. Going to ask him all about that album. And we're going to speak to him about what car he drives and why. Also on this week's episode, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room, by the way, I try out the Honda E. And I speak to somebody from Honda about it. Not just somebody, the head of Automobile Honda UK, Rebecca Adamson. I've also got the MCM Minute with Emma Franklin and so much more. Now, Brian May is celebrating the reissue of his album today. And in fact, he's doing a 10-hour Instagram live broadcast, of which I might pop up on as a guest at some point during the day. So watch out for that. But meanwhile, I spoke to him about Queen, the album and cars. Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. The latest on cars, bikes, power products, racing, events and more. It is Queen's 50th anniversary this year and 40 years since Queen's greatest hits. Now, Brian May, how does it feel to be 50? <laughs> I'd like to be just 50. Yeah, that would be <laughs> quite good. I could wake up one morning, oh, I'm only 50. No. Um, it's funny. We've sort of been avoiding the issue. The record company and everybody was saying to us, oh, you're going to make a big deal of your 50th anniversary of Queen. And we thought really isn't it going to just remind people how old we are you know maybe we should just celebrate the fact that we're here and we can still perform sometimes when situations allow you know and just not really do the 50th thing but I think we've kind of slid into it because everybody wants to talk about it including you which is fine (laughs) we all want to talk (laughs) about it it is a big occasion we definitely want to celebrate it I guess it is well it's amazing yeah I I love the individual events you know I love the fact that Greatest Hits is doing so incredibly well at the moment and we seem to be current Um, I love the fact that my solo album is my first solo album is coming out again finally because it's been unavailable for so long and delving into that and the Greatest Hits at the same time has been quite an experience for me it's really really kind of opening up doors which have been closed for quite a while and uh, I'm enjoying it It's, it's, it's a great rediscovery for me. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk loads about your album. But first of all, The Greatest Hits. Now, that is 40, and this has hit many statistics, uh, 22 times platinum. Um, I mean, this album is massive. How does it feel to have the UK's biggest selling album of all time? It's amazing. I have to pinch myself. I have to say, yes, it is the biggest album of all time in in, in this country. And, um, yeah, I, I suppose I didn't take it seriously for a while, but it's it stayed up there for so long and it's so far ahead of everything else. Um, <laughs> there's some great stories about it. What, what's that thing? Is it? The, see, I forget where. It's a fictional radio series. I'm trying to think what it is, but what happens is there's a guy in his car and he says every cassette which is left in a car for more than five years becomes Queen's greatest hits or something. I forget <laughs> where that comes from. It made me laugh. Well, I think it's a one in every four households has got the greatest hits. That's one of the statistics. God, that's amazing. Yeah. I well, mean, what was it like choosing the songs for this back in 1981? Well, it wasn't that difficult because it's just the hits and it is only a 10 year period. It's amazing that we accrued that 
kind of catalogue of, of bona fide hits. Most people's greatest hits are like, yeah, we've got a couple, but we're going to throw, throw a few things in, which are kind of, kind of could have been hits, you know, but this is all gold-plated chart material. Uh, so it's easy. You just put the biggest ones in and that was it. And then we went on and we did Greatest Hits 2 and Greatest Hits 3, all of which have, have done great. And we had the Platinum Collection, which is collection, which is uh, all three of them together. So it's done amazingly well. But the Greatest Hits 1 is something very special. Yeah. And every track you listen to, you think, oh, yeah. What's your favourite one off that album? If I was being very kind of allowing myself to be partisan, probably We Were Rocky because... It sort of says everything in a short time and it's something which has always worked for us. It had to battle its way through to, to even be on there because that's one of the questionable things. You could say, well, it wasn't like a number one hit in the UK. No, it wasn't. It was on the B side of We Are The Champions, but mostly around the world, both tracks um, were radio singles and and did very well. And We Were Rocky was, I think, a bona fide number one in, in uh, France, which is nice. But yeah, you could say, but Wheel Rocky has been with us for so long and has done so much for us then, I suppose. And it says a lot about what I had to say at the time. Um, it says a lot, I think, still about humanity, um, uh, the way I see it anyway. So yeah, okay, Wheel Rocky. That's a good choice. That's an excellent choice. You're releasing a remastered Back to the Light album from 1992. And this is actually part of a series, the Brian May Gold series. Can you tell us about the series and, of course, the album? Yeah, it's been an exciting journey for me already. I must say, delving back into this album, rediscovering it. A big part of my life was invested in this album in the same way as I invested my time and, and passion in the Queen albums. I put exactly the same kind of effort into this. And for me, it was a major thing because it's the first thing I'd really uh, tackled since, uh, well, since we knew that Freddie was on his way out. It's a terrible thing to, to even talk about. You know, and I played uh, Driven By You to him saying, I'm not sure about this. You know, how do you feel about this? And he said, Brian, you should do it. He said, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. This is a great start to your solo career. Just go for it. And I said, don't you want to sing it? And he went, no, darling, you sing it perfectly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you actually asked cool. him first if he'd do it. And then you said you'd do it. Yeah, yeah. So it was a massive thing for me, very personal. When you're writing stuff for a band, as we were in Queen, you write stuff which, of course, is driven by what's inside you. It's very personal, but there's a limit to how personal you can be because the mouthpiece is the band as a whole, and people don't want to get that personal. So there's a definite kind of demarcation between songs which should go on a Queen album and songs which should go on a solo album. So for the first time, I was able to really walk through that door and be, I suppose it's self-indulgent if you like, but it's, it's being very truthful and very transparent in a way that you couldn't be as a band. Well, uh, there was a lot going on for you emotionally at the time, wasn't there, uh, with Freddie and other uh, big emotional traumas going on in your life at that time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, we were losing Freddie. Uh, I was losing my dad. My dad went around that time and my marriage was breaking up. That's probably enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it was a major crossroads of my life. And of course, as an artist, you want to write about it. There's also pitfalls, because if you write about it too specifically, you tend to mess up the lives of people around you and make their lives even more difficult. So it's a tricky thing. It's like, you know, I often wonder what some of these painters felt when they're putting their brush strokes on, you know, how honest are they going to be? How much are they going to reveal of themselves? And how much is it going to influence their life? Anyway, so there I am making this album. Very, it sounds like it was uh, 
you know, let's just make an album, but it wasn't. It was very tough. I was very patchy. Sometimes I was very depressed, couldn't do anything. Sometimes I was full of determination that I was going to get through this thing, get back to the light. That's why it's called Back to the Light. And, um, and I was reorganizing my life at the same time as reorganizing my career, if you like, in inverted commas. And I was very, I think angry is the word. I was, I was grieving about Freddie and the band and my dad and my marriage and what I, I guess the picture of me that I had, I was, I was having to ditch all that. I was no longer, uh, well, my image of myself was a father, was a dad. I had very, very young children and that was my central uh, self image. And of course, when you get divorced, you, it's very hard not to divorce your children as well. And, you know, that it almost happened. Of course, thank God I, I didn't lose my children and I'm very close to them now. But at the time, it seemed like I was losing them. So the album has all that kind of um, stuff driving it forward. And I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm looking for the, the place where the tunnel opens up and, and you're back in the sunshine. So um, it's, it is a complete album, like like we said. It's it's not um, it's not just tracks. It's an album which I would like you still to listen to all the way through because it, yes, because it wasn't. It's been unavailable for a while, hasn't it? You can't stream it or anything. Why, why is it being so unavailable? <laughs> Do you know, I, I don't really know. These things just get neglected, I suppose. We've been so busy with Queen all the way along the line. Yeah, this has never been on Spotify or all these um, outlets. Um, for years and years, and like if you're doing your Instagram, you can't use a track from my solo albums to put on your stories. <laughs> so now you will be able to. Nice. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, well, let's talk great. about the biggest hit on the album, um, which of course was used in a TV advert as well. So a lot of people will know this one, Driven by You. Tell us about that song. Yeah, Driven by You started the whole thing in a sense. And it started around sitting around a swimming pool with a couple of... Um, friends well they weren't friends until we met them then me and anita are there just having a very brief holiday in los angeles sitting around the pool in sunset marquee and there's a couple of gay guys there chattering away and having a big laugh 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 so much love and we thought these guys are great and we got friendly with them one of them was peter harrison who at the time was um the head of marketing of a big big firm uh, of advertisers and he says brian you've done all these things have you ever done a music for an advert and I went no he said do you want to and I went well I'm not sure that I do really you know I just like making music that's in my head you know he said well let me just throw something at you and he said what if I said our campaign slogan is everything we do we do for you I went yeah I could hear that I could relate to that and um so we chatted a bit more and then he opened, uh, I think he got a, a message. He was on the phone for a while. He went on for a while and he came back and he went, sorry, I told you wrong. He said, actually, the slogan is everything we do is driven by you. And I thought, driven by you? I can hear that. That already has a rhythm, it has a power that I can use. And I can relate to it in my head because I have to write on more than one level. We've talked about levels, I think. I, have to, I, I could feel it as a slogan for them. It's a car company it's Ford motor cars. Everything we do is driven by you. It's a good slogan. But for me, it was also underneath it, a slogan about how I feel about life and relationships. You in a relationship, very often you get to this point where you feel that everything is driven by the other person and it can be, it can be great or it can be uncomfortable or whatever. So the song was there in essence in my head and I could hear it. It's one of those moments. So in those days I had, I had it's before iPhones and everything. I had my little tiny tape recorder there, a little cassette recorder which I would sing into or, or talk into. So I went off to the bathroom 
uh, and sang the song into it, Driven By You. I could hear it. And, and that was, I should think like 50% of the song was written at that moment. I could hear the whole thing. So the car so company thought, came to you first. It wasn't yeah. the other way around. I thought you'd written the song and the car company used it. No, they totally commissioned it. So I came back from my visit to the bathroom and said, I think I've written the song for you. And he went, great, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was that quick. Yeah. And, um, and it became, it was a lovely little adventure for me. And I finished the, the, the version for the car company pretty quickly, played all the instruments myself. Strangely enough, Cozy wasn't on that because it just wasn't time. Although I put him on it later. Um, but I had the, the song, I played it to them, they loved it. They immediately did this huge campaign. I wish they'd do it again, really. It would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be awesome. Um, one question uh, for my podcast, which is about uh, cars and motorbikes and things. Uh, Brian, what car do you drive at the moment? Oh, a Lexus, hybrid Lexus. I've had it for years. It's never given me a moment's problem. And that's all I ask of a car. <laughs> Yeah, I have it in the garage and it's always on charge, which makes a difference. So there's never a problem with, you know, electrical failure. And I like it because, um, well, like I said, it's no trouble. But also the hybrid thing appeals to me because, yes, you're still using a bit of fossil fuel, but not as much, not nearly as much. Yeah, around town, you can use the EV part, can't you? Yeah, and the electrical part is, is great, but you're not a slave to your electrical charge you know i have tried the, the fully electric cars and it was a disaster for me because i make long journeys during a day I'll, I'll try to get up to to liverpool and back in a day you cannot do it with an electric car <laughs> you have to you've got to pull off. over and charge up halfway yeah, that kind of thing haven't you yeah yeah so we i i did it uh yeah i did it for a while and it was a disaster so we, we <laughs> had to give up on that with my kind of lifestyle like, it's probably okay if you go 10 miles to work and back every day that would be fine but i can't do it the way we tried to get to brighton one day and then we're looking at the map and trying to figure out where we can get charged and and, and looking at i got stuck down there as well down. yeah it's a nightmare so I, I don't know how people do it but i like my lexus is no trouble that's my motto good, good. we like that trouble. Um, so coming back to Back to the Light, that originally came out in 1992. It's coming out in August, a remastered version. And uh, we look forward to trying out the album again, having not been able to access it for so long. It means a lot to me, I must say. And it's all glittering and new. It's lovely to take something and bring it into the 21st century and, and give it all the, the little bits of polish that it really needed at the time. And all the packaging is, is new, obviously the same theme. But at the core of it is the exact album that I put together in, uh, in the year 1892. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago, but uh, fantastic that that is, is coming back out and uh, hopefully reaching a new audience as well. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on it. Thanks, Diana. And that was Brian May talking about Queen, the remastered, reissued solo album Back to the Light, which is out today, and is talking about this on his Instagram right now because he's live on his Instagram all day today, which if you're listening to it the day the podcast has come out, 6th of August 2021. And Brian May's Instagram is at Brian May for real. And good to know as well what car he drives, a hybrid Lexus. Now, I drove a full electric vehicle, the Honda E. Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Visit honda.co.uk slash engine room. I am in the E, Honda's first all-electric urban car. Now, this car is tiny, but it's not small on luxury, performance or comfort. 
and yes I have thought about that line um, and that's because it really is quite an impressive little car there's loads of legroom in the front with no middle console reaching to the dashboard so you've got loads of room at the front to put your bags and bits and pieces the wing mirrors well these are something else I've never seen anything like this before in my life there are no wing mirrors there are just little computer screens, uh, little screens on the right and the left inside the car. And instead on the outside, there's a little camera mounted at each side. At first, this freaked us all out. We thought this is weird. But in fact, you get a wider eye line and it covers the blind spot much better. So you have a much more accurate view of what's going on right behind you and right to the left and right of you, which I think is really, really crucial. Um, and it has this incredible retro kind of 70s dashboard, but with the modern screens all the way along. From me, the driver's position, right through to the passenger side, it is a long, narrow screen. One big screen as well. It looks stunning. And you can have different things displaying different areas of this screen and personalise it to what you want. And finished in a retro fake wood, but wooden trim really complementing the black parts is the brown wooden bits. This particular model comes in a luminous yellow, which is so striking. And then the front headlights, just two circles. What I love about the way this looks compared to other electric vehicles is that the other ones uh, look like normal cars disguised as an electric vehicle. This one is not afraid to be an EV. It looks like an EV, it's totally unique and it's embraced the fact that it is an electric vehicle by looking just completely different to any other type of car. And it's so striking, go down any road, people stop and stare. And even my plumbers, <laughs> the plumbers, big macho men were like, what is that car you've got? If we're going to get an electric vehicle, we're going to get one of them. It really is making quite an impression on people. And I think it's because it is so different. It looks really cool and cute. I don't know if you can have those things both at the same time, but I think so. Now, the urban aspect of this particular car has caused some concern to buyers because the range is only up to 137 miles. So it's a risky car to use on longer journeys. It does, however, have a rapid charge time of 31 minutes from a low battery to 81%. Now, I read that bit of information and drove to Bryson for the weekend. And then half an hour before we were due to leave, I said, right, I'll go and get the Honda. I'll put it on charge for half an hour and we'll head off back to London. So plugged it in. First of all, couldn't find anywhere to park because in Brighton, the EV charging points are not exclusive to electric vehicles. So any old car can park there, blocking up the space. So I had to double park, stretch the lead across to the charging point. And after half an hour, it only charged 2%. What I hadn't read properly was that's at a fast charging point, not just one on the street in particular locations. So that was my first mistake. Ended up waiting there for about an hour and a half to get enough charge to get us halfway up to Pease Pottage, where they had some fast chargers. And then we put it on a fast charge and got home okay. Um... I tweeted and Instagrammed about this at the time and a lot of people said, oh, that's going to put me off electric vehicles. It's such a hassle. Actually, it's not if you know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't read it properly. But if you prepare where you're going to charge and when, I don't think it's an issue. 
And you know, the funny thing about when we were driving up to Pease Pottage with low battery, you know when your phone is low, but you really need it to last, so you start switching off functions. So we turned off the heating, we turned off the radio, and we turned off everything. And it was a really cold, dark night, and it was quite a miserable journey up to Pease Pottage. But, uh, you know, we did it. We look back now and, uh, and we laugh about it. But uh, again, all I can say is just plan your route. Prices start from over £28,000. Now that seems a lot, especially when you think that there are equivalents like the Renault Zoe, which has almost double the claimed range with a lower starting price. So the question is, is the Honda worth the extra money? Well, my answer to that is 100% yes. Yes, it is. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm back in the studio now. So to answer my own question, this is why I think it's worth the money. One of the major factors in this car is the driving capability in cities. The Honda engineers went around all the major European cities and studied how people drive in city centres. And they spent ages working out the best kind of car for this kind of traffic. And as a result of this, they came up with what is called the squat stance. They've put the four wheels on the four outermost corners of the car, which you'd think all cars have, but they don't. So they're right on the edges, which means you are firmly planted on the road. When you're doing corners, you don't move or sway from side to side, and you can do a three-point turn. Well, you don't need to do three-point turns anymore because this has got a 4.3-metre turning circle. You can just do a full 360 degrees without having to put it into reverse. So the way this grips the road and the way you can nip in and out of small spaces in a chaotic traffic situation has been fantastic. We've been really enjoying it. Honda described the interior as a lounge as well, and we, we very much agreed with that. We didn't feel like we were in some kind of moving lounge at the time as well. And the exterior reminds me of, you know, Johnny Number no. 5 in Short Circuit, the movies? That's what this car looks like at the front. Trust me. Google those two things together. But I wanted to know how and why Honda came up with this concept of this car. And I tell you what, let's ask Honda themselves. In fact, let's go to the very top. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Rebecca Adamson, Head of Automobile at Honda UK. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Leona. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Yes, great, thank you. Um, I want to talk to you about this really cool Honda E because we absolutely love it in this house. Um, what made Honda go for this cool and funky look? Okay, well, that's a good question. And I actually also really love the Honda E, um, as does the rest of my family, particularly my 17-year-old daughter, uh, <laughs> who is hoping in vain she may be getting one for her first car um, so <laughs> she's not just to be clear right. so we first we first showcased the um it was the urban ev concept at that time at the paris motor show uh four years ago and at the same time we outlined our vision of, of our industry being around centered around the three pillars of electrification automation and connected services um, which clearly is is the way that the industry and go is going um, the concept was received incredibly well and we endeavoured all the way through to stay as close and as true to that concept as possible um, and I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of that design made it to production yeah. Um, but I, anyone who's familiar with Honda at all will be aware that the design itself is a is an homage, if you like, to the original mid mid nineteen seventies Honda Civic. There's an awful lot of uh, design cues that relate back 
Yeah, yeah, I love the whole that. retro feel of, of the inside and the out. But just coming back to its um, actual physical appearance outside, the squat stance. Now, we love that because it's great for nipping around London. How did Honda come up with this design? Well, as you say, it's a squat stance and it's very much, it's great for nipping around London and any other urban location. It was designed for the urban environment in terms of its turning circle, etc. Um, and it's got great characteristics in terms of the concept overall, but that concept carries in to the interior of the car as well. I think you could definitely describe it as quirky. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the squat stance because you're just firmly planted on the ground. And you can do some great cornering. Um, now, the range is lower than some other cars in this size. Why is that? I think, again, that goes back to the design concept. It was designed as an urban car. It is, as you say, low to the ground, fun and engaging to drive, but it is designed for urban driving, so um, short drives, if you like. And actually, if you look at the majority of uh, journeys in the UK, they're actually around eight and a half miles. So it is a a shorter range, but that was part of the concept of the vehicle um, at its original design 125 miles for example i use one on a daily basis and it suits me for my commute and my personal activities um recharge overnight and we're good to go the next day yes yeah you can definitely get into the swing of it can't you now the wing mirrors are the first thing people have asked me about when i've said oh i've been using this honda e um tell me about them and why they're in use so the wing mirrors are, um, again, I think everyone's quite familiar that Honda's very focused on engineering and has a microscopic focus on design. And the primary um, thinking behind the wing mirrors is to increase the range of the car. Traditional wing mirrors stick out significantly from either side of the car and increase drag and wind resistance. And that's kind of the enemy of the EV, if you like. So by removing wing mirrors and replacing them with these very neat little cameras um the car is essentially slippier and it supports the range for the vehicle yeah well it's something when you first get in you're like uh, this is weird and then you quickly grow to love it and don't ever want to go back to real wing, wing mirrors do you uh, this is the thing a you don't knock them off when you're driving through london which is always <laughs> uh, a, a challenge but you're right when you first get in you have this moment of okay this is very different and within seconds of starting the car up and moving it, it feels like it's always been that way yes this is true now your plan on being all electric by 2025 do you think we as consumers are ready that's a really interesting question so our commitment uh, a year or so ago was to have our core model lineup fully electrified by 2025 now we've changed that actually and that's going to happen in 2022 so next year but when we say fully electrified that's not fully electric that means um supported with an electric or electrically assisted, if you like. So our view is that um, we know we can't continue with our dependence on fossil fuels, and we know we need to take this step to EV. But as you say, it's quite a dramatic step. So our proposal is to move to EV through hybrid. So whilst we have the E, and we'll be developing other full electric vehicles as part of our plan over the next couple of years, um, by next year, uh, all of our core models will be electrified. They'll either be full battery electric or hybrid. Yeah, the hybrid is the perfect solution, isn't it? It's a great transition because then you have got the best of both worlds. Exactly. And I think it also gives consumers an opportunity, A, to adapt to this new powertrain and this new way of driving, if you like. And also, let's face it, electric technologies are very expensive. So it's almost like that transition period and that stepping stone for, for manufacturers and customers alike. And that's certainly our view and our approach. Yeah. Okay, well, Rebecca Adamson, Head of Automobile at Honda UK, um, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Leona. Good to speak to you.
Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Hi, Harley. Hi. Um, do you remember the Honda E? We've had two now. We've had the yellow one and the blue one. It's green. It's yellow. It's green. Right, it's time for a poll because I'm not having this anymore. It's a luminous yellow. It's a green. Right, I'm going to post... It's a lime green. It's a luminous yellow. I'm going to post a picture on all of the socials now at Rock and Road Pod and I want a definitive answer. We're going to have a poll. No, but the pictures don't say it. They make it... The pictures show that it's yellow because it's yellow. No, because you'll probably edit the picture. I'm not going to edit it. Yes, you are. You're probably going to, like, get some, like, editor... App thing and then like change the color. Do you mean a filter? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do that. No, now listen, listen. If, no, moving but you on. You can't tell in a picture. I want to know what you thought of the car other than the color. I liked how green it was. <laughs> no. Um. Uh, okay. Um. It was very like um technology, if that's a word. No. Right. Let me ask you something else. Have you got any Harley's life philosophies for us? Because uh, this. You know, you're hopeless at describing cars. Let's go with the philosophy. Here we go. Harley's life philosophies. If tomatoes are a fruit, does that make ketchup a smoothie? Harley's life philosophies. Right, thank you for that, Harley. You may now go. But I want to talk about the car. I like the the fact that there's there aren't actual like wing mirrors and there's lots of cameras on it which is quite cool. And the green is a really nice colour. Green. Go away. All right, bye. Bye. The MCN Minute. So, uh, hello, Emma Franklin, Deputy Editor of MCN Motorcycle News, the weekly paper. Hi, Emma, how are you? Ah, I'm really well, Leona, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. What's happening? Oh, my God, what isn't happening at the moment? You know what, it's been all go. It's been all go. Tell us, tell us. (laughs) So it's been mostly MotoGP news, really. So last week we got the news that uh, Britain's Cal Crutchlow was coming out of retirement to replace uh, the injured Franco Morbidelli at the Padrona squad for three rounds. So he's going to be racing this weekend at Austria and then the following weekend at Austria. But also, most excitingly, he's going to be in attendance at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone at the end of the month. So that is uh, big, exciting news for all you British Cal Crutchlow fans out there. So that is a good, good, good thing that's happened. Okay, that's great news. Okay, what else? And then if that wasn't enough, today we get the news that there's going to be a a press conference called this evening, which was, well, three o'clock our time, uh, regarding Valentino Rossi's future. So that obviously only meant one thing, and it did come to pass that Valentino Rossi announced that this season would be his last in MotoGP, which is a huge... It's not exactly a bombshell, because we've been expecting it for a long time, but even so, the fact that he's come out and said that that's it for him after 25 seasons is is a massive, massive story. So it's a bit of an emotional day, really. So So how will this reflect in the paper? Because the next one's out Wednesday, because we're kind of putting out the podcast between the two, um, this time so we just had one out Wednesday what's going to be in next week's edition then so in next week's issue uh, that's going to be a whole Rossi special so you're mm. going to get the full inside line on what just happened today as well as catching up from this weekend's Austrian GP so everything that happened there and we're also going to look back on Rossi's amazing career in a, in a nice six page guide to his best moments really so you can expect to see that so it's one for one for you Rossi fans which everyone is really aren't they yeah that's impressive so you've only found this out today and you've got to get all this ready for the edition on Wednesday that's impressive 
Yeah, and we go to press on Monday, so we've only really got... <laughs> wow, so a busy weekend for you then, Emma. Yeah, you could say that. It's all good, though. <laughs> it is all good, and it's great to hear from you. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem. Thank you. The MCN Minute. Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Well, thank you very much for listening to this bumper, fully packed, mega edition of the Rock and Road Pod. Please can you subscribe, rate and review wherever possible. And please do follow all of the socials, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Rock and Road Pod. Also, please do check out the poll and vote yellow. Remember this episode brought to you by the Honda Engine Room, the latest on cars, bikes, power products, racing, events and more. Thank you to my editor, Ross Hoare, and to you for listening. Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Visit honda.co.uk slash engine room.